in your Bibles to the book of Psalms, please, and Psalm 126. Psalm 126. I'm going to read the psalm through, and then uh, we're going to, God willing, look at it together. I feel the Lord has laid this passage of Scripture on my heart for today. As you know, I've been going through a series on getting back to the God of the Bible, and I just sense how important that is in these days, that we get back to the God who's revealed himself in his word. And there's so much misunderstanding of who God is that brings about bad practice in our Christian walk. That's why we desperately need to get back to what God says about himself in the word. Um, But I felt for today, as it's our first meeting back, that I should be looking at this particular passage. I asked the Lord specifically for something related to this particular day. So, Psalm 126 and verse 1. Okay, you're right there. Psalm 126 and verse 1. When the Lord... Turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth with and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Amen indeed. This is from a series of psalms called A Song of Degrees or a song of ascents, and they're particular hymns, if you like, that the pilgrims would sing as they went up towards the temple and began to approach the place of worship and coming near to God. Quite appropriate, I feel, for today. But there's a particular aspect to this psalm that I want to look at to begin with, and it's found in verse 1 through 3. So let me read those again. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, whereof we are glad." Within these first three verses, you get the Lord mentioned three times. Remember, this is about the people of God coming out of captivity, out from the place of bondage, and coming back to the land that God had originally destined for them to dwell in. To dwell in the land that God loves, and that God loves, the place he has for his people. Three times you have this phrase, when the Lord turned again. Sorry, the 
the Lord's name mentioned three times. It says in verse 1, when the Lord turned again. In verse 2, it says, the Lord has done great things. And in verse 3, it says, the Lord has done great things for us. Notice that the psalmist doesn't start the psalm by saying, isn't it wonderful that we've come out of captivity? He doesn't say, Praise the Lord that our enemies have released us. He says, when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion. In other words, right from the start of the psalm, the psalmist under the anointing of the Spirit is drawing attention. The Spirit of God is drawing attention to the fact that this is of God. This is something God has done. This is something not organized. This is something not arranged. We didn't work our way out of captivity. The Lord did it. Look what great things the Lord has done for them. Look what great things the Lord has done for us. Okay? There's an acknowledgement that God has done it. And right from the outset, you get this sense that the psalmist is taken up with the fact that God is sovereign. He's over the whole thing. And what you find is that actually the very one who brought them into captivity is the very one that brings them out of captivity. So often we can think when things are going adversely wrong for us that it's all the enemy doing the work. We, from, from start to finish, the devil seems to be in control and is the sovereign one in all our thinking. And all we think about is what the devil's doing. Let me put it like this. How have you viewed this lockdown? How have you seen it? Have you sought to view this form of captivity from an earthly perspective or from a heavenly perspective? Have you seen it in terms of what God is doing? Or have you purely seen it in terms of what governments are doing? Or have you seen it purely in terms of what the enemy is doing? Where have your eyes been? Where has your seeing been? What are you looking at? Who are you looking for? How are you perceive things? So important how we perceive things, you see. Because if you think about what happened, for example, with Job... If you and I, for example, didn't have Job chapter 1, verses 6 to 12 in our Bibles, and we didn't know what the end of Job was going to be, I wonder if you were walking through with Job how you would have perceived what he's going through in terms of the reason for it. If you were uh, somebody who just believed Christians should be well and have no problems with their lives, you would have said, come on, man, have a bit of faith, won't you? The reason you've got all these problems in your life is because you haven't got enough faith. Just speak out, believe, and the thing will go and you'll have prosperity. That's what some people in the Christian church would have said today. Others would have said, it's your sin. The reason, Job, that you're like this is purely because you've done something wrong. And we know, Job, you're not telling us, but we know. You wouldn't have problems like this if you were a saint. Everything would be rosy in the garden, but look at you. You're you're in the dust. You're in a mess. 
And it's obviously some sin that you haven't dealt with in your life, and you're not as holy as we are, by inference, of course. Wouldn't say it. But by inference, you're not as holy as we are. That would be another camp, the self-righteous camp, you know. Then there'd be another camp that says, Job, you're not dealing with the devil. You've obviously got to come against the enemy and just resist him. Just deal with the enemy. This is all the enemy. This is purely the works of the powers of darkness. And all you've got to do is resist the enemy and all will be well again. Was the enemy involved with what Job was going through? Yes or no? Yes. Was Job the reason, sorry, was the devil the reason for what Job was going through? Think about that. Was the devil the instigator of everything that went on with Job? No. But you just told me the devil was the one who was causing the problem with Job. But then you're telling me the devil wasn't the one who instigated everything with Job. Why is it that you say that? It's because you know what went on in the heavenlies. The only reason the devil singles out Job is because God took the devil's attention to Job. Job had already been going, sorry, not Job, the devil had already been going to and fro throughout the earth. He'd already been looking round. But there comes a day when the sons of men and Satan's amongst them come before God, and the Lord says to Satan, what have you been up to? It's in my own language. And then Satan says, I've been going to and fro for the earth, and The Lord says, have you considered my servant Job? Why did the Lord do that? If I was the Lord, I would be thinking, he hasn't seen Job. The Lord draws attention to Job. And the Lord tells Satan, have a look at my servant. And Satan says, well, if you did this, this, and this, it would be different. And the Lord says, okay, go. But he doesn't let Satan finish him off. The preservation of God is over Job's life. So who started it? Who do you blame for this whole series of chapters, from chapter 1 right through to chapter 40 of Job? God. Let me ask you, who's sovereign, Satan or God? Who have you been looking to for the answers? God. You see, we often blame Satan for what God has initiated because all we see is what Satan's doing. And because all we see what Satan's doing is we think it's the totality of everything in our thinking. We we wouldn't say that, but that's the way we put our sums together in our heads. Satan's doing this, Satan's doing that, Satan's doing this. It's all Satan. But we're not ministers of Satan. 
We shouldn't be taken up with what the devil is doing, brothers and sisters. Now, the scriptures say we need to be mindful of his devices. But if Satan can't get you believing that he doesn't exist, he will get you fascinated with his work. And that's just as deceptive. Because you'll be through rabbit warrants before you know it. What we need is to know what God is doing. The Lord is the one that brought the Israelites into captivity. The Lord is the one that actually brought them out of captivity. And he even calls people like Nebuchadnezzar my servant. Don't you find that amazing? That Nebuchadnezzar can be a servant of God? People like this, who you would just think are completely off the rails, actually become ministers for God in their rebellion against God, and God is in the heaven and he just laughs at their rebellion because they don't realize they're being tremendous ministers for him in his service. What does it say concerning Job at the very end concerning his life? Does it end with Job chapter 40? No, I want to take you to the book of James and chapter 5. Book of James, chapter 5. Verse 11. Consider these verses, friends. Please consider this. Behold, we count them happy which endure. We count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job. And have seen the end of Job, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Is that what the verse says? Did I just quote that right? No. What did I get wrong? End of the Lord. End of the Lord. In other words, what was happening with Job is God was sovereignly over it all and he brings Job to a point where at the end of his life, he is brought into double blessing and increase. And the very purpose that Satan had in his heart to destroy Job was the very work that God used to bring Job through to a place of double increase. You couldn't, you couldn't imagine it, could you? You couldn't work that out. You could not make that up. But you'd only understand what was happening to Job if you had the perspective of what was happening in the heavenlies. That's the key. What about Joseph in the Word of God? He was a man who had these amazing dreams. We just read, we were like those who dream. He was a man who had an amazing dream about what God was going to do to them, and he's quite liberal in his sharing of it. I saw this, you know, and he speaks to his brothers. There's no sort of tax in the fact that he, he, he's bringing uh, something that's obviously going to rile his brothers, but he tells his brothers and his parents, and of course they're up in arms about it. Maybe they should have prayed a bit more. But they're up in arms about it, and in the end, we find Joseph coming out and to his brothers, and his brothers are so incensed with him that really they want to murder him. Be careful not to want to murder a brother or sister in the church. You laugh, but I'm serious. 
can be very easy. Murder begins here. It doesn't begin with a knife. We have with Joseph a man who had the anointing, as it were, of God upon his life. The touch of God was upon him. No question whatsoever. And he goes out to his brothers and they said, they, they eventually, you remember, put him in this well. And then the Midianite traders come along and they said, well, let's hand him over to them. So the Midianite traders get hold of Joseph and they take him away. And he goes to Potiphar's house and then everything goes downhill for Joseph. He's falsely accused. He ends in prison. He's in the darkest depths and then God makes a way sovereignly through dreams to bring the man out again to be able to stand before the king and out of all that happened Joseph ends up second to Pharaoh in the whole land this is a type of the Lord Jesus who went down into the depths Joseph eventually comes out, and you know his brothers come to him. I'm, cut, I'm cutting so much out of the story for the sake of time. But his brothers eventually come back to him in Egypt. And you remember what happens, how in the end, Joseph is weeping over his brothers. That's a precious thought. If I was Joseph of myself, it's payback time. But Joseph wasn't like that. Joseph eventually reveals himself to his brothers. And they're all basically weeping together. This has something to do eschatologically with the Lord Jesus as Messiah over the Jewish people. But that's for another time. Nonetheless, Joseph is before his brothers... He weeps with them, and then he says this, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You meant it for my destruction, but God meant it for blessing. Joseph realized God was sovereign over his own betrayal. Joseph realized that God was above it all. And yes, they meant it for evil. But Joseph had a heavenly viewpoint. He was effectively viewing this thing from the heavenly places. You may think that people have meant this lockdown for evil. And you're probably right. You may be right. I'm not going to assume anything. But there will be people behind the scenes that will be trying to instigate, maneuver like a chessboard unto their own ends and victory 
things that are contrary to the word of God. There's no question about that. Behind closed doors, men and women will be scheming things that are wicked. Because that's our hearts. Why are we surprised by that? It will be happening. And maybe that men under the influence of demonic powers are seeking things for evil. But I want to tell you this morning, the devil is not on the throne. God is on the throne. And what the devil and wicked men mean for evil, God has meant for good. Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Do you understand the word all? I think the youngest child here understands the word all. Oh, but you don't know what the devil's doing. All things. Yes, but the devil's doing this in this place, and he's trying to do that in that place. All things. Dear friends, if you think this lockdown's been bad, let's go around the globe and see some of the persecution our brothers and sisters have been through. And we'll see how mild this has been. And I don't mean by that to intimate that it hasn't been easy, that it hasn't been difficult. And there has been people that have lost their lives through this. I have somebody I know personally who lost their life and has left behind a wife and nine children. We weep with those who weep. But all things, I dare to say, on the authority of Scripture, all things work together for good. And let me remind you, dear friends, that in one, sorry, in Ephesians chapter one and verse eleven, we have these words: "In whom, speaking of the Lord Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance." being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh most things after the counsel of his own will. Doesn't say that. I'm going to get into trouble for somebody probably. I'm deliberately misquoting the scripture to get you thinking on what the scripture really says. He worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. You say, this lockdown is ridiculous. It should never have happened. Well, who are you kicking against? Are you saying God isn't in control? You say, yes, but Satan's, I know. But don't you think God saw it before Satan? Are you so enamored with Satan that you think he's so close to the throne of God? 
You must have a big Satan. I want to tell you, dear friends, I have a big God. And Satan is powerful. And I don't believe in mucking about with Satan and just hurling names at him. He's far more powerful than any one of us individually. But I tell you one thing, he's not more powerful than God. And Satan doesn't write history. God does. God does. I'm not going to give Satan the glory for what has happened over this past three months. I'm going to give God the glory because he's worked things into our lives if we've been alert to him. Things that otherwise we would have never experienced had Satan not been about his work. What kind of God do we have? I want to remind you of something. Going back to Psalm 126, please. I want to read from verse 4. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goes forth and weeps, Bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. In verses 1 to 3, we see that the Lord is mentioned. That the whole matter of the deliverance of the people of God is in relation to what the Lord has done. His sovereignty, his overseeing of the timing of the deliverance of the people of Israel. I want to remind you, dear friends, even with Israel, think about this now. There are times in Israel's history when the Lord sent enemies to Israel to cause them to have a lot of trouble. And people like Habakkuk are saying, what are you doing, Lord? There are these people, the Chaldeans, you're going to send them in? Basically, he couldn't understand it. God sends the enemies of God to sometimes deal with his own people because the Lord is concerned with his people. Do you understand? The Lord's discipline is sometimes through the enemies of the Lord. This has happened time and time again through history. Now, there is a time, if you look in the Word of God, where the Lord's angry at the nations because they exceeded the extent to which God prescribed the judgment over Israel. And all the nations that come against Israel will ultimately be judged for doing so because they've exceeded the level to which God has prescribed But it doesn't mean that God didn't prescribe it. And it's not that the Lord's concerned with those nations. He's concerned with his people. And I want to tell you, dear friends, there'll be unbelievers that God has sent upon your path and the Lord will speak to you through them. He doesn't have to use a saint with a halo around his head. Verse 4 to 6 is a prayer. This is the response. You see... When he says in verse 4, turn again our captivity, it was the fact that the Israelites were coming out of captivity, but they hadn't completely come out of captivity. So there's deliverance, but there's still need for deliverance. Do you understand? So there is, turn again our captivity. Yeah, but the psalmist has already been talked about that we've been delivered. Yes, but there's deliverance was in stages when you look at the um, way the Israelites were delivered and from Babylon. How are we meant to respond in the lockdown? Now, don't tell me the Israelites weren't in lockdown. They were under the Babylonians. It doesn't get more lockdown than that, friends. They, didn't, they weren't allowed to stay in their homes, many of them, in the land. 
They were deported out of the land. They were taken to Babylon. They were put under a godless king. There were strict laws there, I can tell you. And the house of God was shut up. Think about that. How much temple worship is going on if the people of Israel are not in the land? The sacrificial system? It's all prescribed in the Torah. God prescribed this is what the Israelites were meant to do. Then God takes the Israelites out of the way so they can't do what they're meant to do. (laughs) Why did God do that? Because the Israelites were living in sin. Why has God shut the doors to our churches up and down the UK? Because the church has not been honoring God. That is why. And don't tell me that God's not in this. God shut the churches. And I think God was wearied with our singing. And the endless noise in so many churches up and down the country. Just song after song after song. Endless songs and no worship. It's just a show of religion. Just to show, and God shut the doors. I want to tell you, the government didn't shut the doors. Satan didn't shut the doors. God did it. That's what I believe. You say Satan was behind the doors being shut. Absolutely. He was at work. He doesn't want his people meeting together. But God has allowed it. God has instigated something. Why? Are you telling me God isn't sovereign? Could God have kept the doors open? Could God have changed our government? Now, listen to me. Please, take, put your heads up at me for a minute. Could God have changed Boris Johnson's heart concerning the opening of this church is three months ago? Yes or no? Remember what it says in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1. Our brother Ola mentions this verse a lot. And I'm glad he does. Chapter 21. The king's heart is in the hand of the devil. Oh, it doesn't say that, does it? The king's heart is in the hand of the... Hallelujah. Aren't you pleased? As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he wills. So whose heart is Boris Johnson ultimately accountable to? God's. If the Lord wanted to intervene, could he have done so? Did the Lord intervene? Did Satan have plans to destroy the church through this? Yes. Yes. Are we to be... Ignorant of his devices? No. But who is on the throne, Satan or God? God. I want to tell you, during the lockdown, and I'm coming to an end, but this is important. You can slam me afterwards if you like. What was God looking for? Did you ever ask the Lord during the lockdown... What are you looking for in me out of this? I know some of you have because you've told me so. What are you wanting to do, Lord? 
We know the devil's out to destroy us, but you have a higher purpose. And I don't want to be too taken up with what the devil's doing, but show me what you're saying. And I tell you, dear friends, if you and I, I personally believe, accept this lockdown, what will happen is we will begin to find our eyes are tear-stained. Because God has put us to a halt and has said effectively, now give me your attention. Stop your songs. Stop your own routine. So many churches just go on and they just want to get back to a church service where we just get back to normal. Oh, God forbid, dear friends, at this church we ever get back to normal. What is normal? Surely God was seeking something greater in this. God was looking for tears. God was looking for tears over the state of his church in this country that once had an authority in this land that Many leaders, many godly men, many godly servants up and down this land could gather together in groups of five and chase a thousand. There's so little spiritual authority in this country, in the church. Normally because we want to be big in our own eyes. We're not willing for the cost of brokenness. They that sow in tears. You remember during the time of Nehemiah. Nehemiah found from Hakaliah that Nehemiah was not in Israel, not in Jerusalem. He was in Babylon, as it were. He's in captivity. He's in the lockdown. He hears that Jerusalem's gates are burned with fire and the walls are broken down. It takes you to be outside the norm of normality to begin to see the devastation of what's around you. And God takes you out to be able to look in and see the horror. That's what happened with Nehemiah. He saw the horror. He was told about the gates being burned and the walls broken down, which means wild beasts could just come in and bring destruction and darkness and wickedness, all kinds of things. The walls were broken down. They could just come in and ravage everything. And the wild beasts are coming in and destroying things in the land. And we see the churches fall one by one, leaders falling, falling, falling. No backbone, no strength, no able to resist the enemy, no standing up for morality or anything like that anymore. It's just we're falling and the gates are broken down and the enemies come in and the Lord says, what is it to my people that this is happening? How bad does it have to get before we get on our knees? So these People tell Nehemiah. What does Nehemiah do? Well, you know, he braced himself like a king. And he said, enough's enough. We're going to shake this town. 
we're going to get them. We're going to turn things upside down, man. You'll find that exercising your own adrenaline will get you absolutely nowhere. What does Nehemiah do? Oh, there's wretched captivity. We're meant to be in the land. God has told us to be in the land. The Torah tells us that we're meant to be doing these sacrifices. Enough is enough. I'm going to deal with this. Did you ever see Jesus walk the land like that? And he's the son of God. He had more authority. He could cause angels to come down and destroy people on the spot. And Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. We are not called to rail against authorities. Let me say that again. We are not called to rail against authorities. Because there's no authority in the world right now that hasn't been put there by God. If you have a problem with the authority, you need to go to God about them. Daniel chapter 2, verse 21. Now, listen. Nehemiah, the first thing he does is weep. Those that sow in tears. Some of you have told me, I've woken up and I've just wept. I've woken up and I've just wept. That's good. You say, no, but you don't realize it's over my own sin. That's even better. This lockdown has left me so vulnerable. Good. Hallelujah. Yes, but you don't realize I I was doing so well and then this happened and I'm struggling now. Good. Praise God. You say, yes, but isn't it all the devil? No. You are a vessel chosen of God, a fore prepared for glory. Romans chapter 9. The Lord will allow adverse things into your life to break your self-confidence in order that you yield to him. Anyone who's self-confidence, the Lord has to do a lot of shaking in them. They that sow in tears, Nehemiah wept. I want to tell you, if you understand the scriptures of Nehemiah 1, you'll realize that he exactly wept, fasted and prayed for four months. That's roughly the time of the captivity that we found ourselves in. Four months. And then what happens after that? Nehemiah sets a petition going. Sorry, I'm being really facetious, aren't I? (laughs) It's really naughty. Um, Excuse me, everybody, for my uh, little naughtiness. I think I get more naughty as I get older. But anyway, what does he do? He continues working. Barry works at the hospital. Is he to stop working and not do anything? No, he's kept going at the hospital. He is to be salt and light in the place that God has put him. And in some ways, he can be more salt and light in what he does than what I do. Because I'm around believers more. He's around unbelievers more. But what is God looking for you who work during the lockdown? but you still have to go to work. He's looking for you to be broken before him. 
What happened to Nehemiah? Well, one day is before the king as the cupbearer, and the king says, your face is sad. Not yours, Hannah. Your face is happy. I'm happy with that. But your face is sad. <laughs> Why are you so sad, Nehemiah? Now, Nehemiah could have had his head chopped off at this point. If he displeased the king, the king wasn't exactly the most merciful of people. What happens is that Nehemiah begins to tell... No, Nehemiah begins to pray as he's before the king. And he said, I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king. So what he said to the king is what he heard from heaven. Back in the heavenlies. And he explains to the king the situation. And then God turns the king's heart where he wills. And the Lord opens the door for Nehemiah to go back and to rebuild the wall and the gates of Jerusalem. Those that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goes forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing bringing in his sheaves. Friends, this lockdown period is still going on. It hasn't finished yet, which means we still have time to seek the Lord. We still have time to ask God to do something in us. If you try to make what God is doing, it, let me rephrase that. If you try to make your life just as normal as possible, when God has specifically allowed something for a purpose, you may come through, but I want to ask you, will you have the treasures of darkness? Will you have the fruit of the valley? It's not that God doesn't love you. It's not that God is somehow saying you're not saved anymore. It's not that God condemns you. But what about the treasures? What about what matters? During the lockdown, the Lord gave me a word of prophecy at a prayer conference online. And it was weighed by three elder brothers who are older than me in the Lord. And uh, they both felt it was of the Lord. And I'm not going to read the whole prophecy out to you. But part of the prophecy said this, your songs, and speaking of the church, your songs and show of religion have wearied me. And my people do not realize that I am on the outside of much of their activities. My people seek to please themselves in my name, and so I have had to stop them in their tracks. In your houses, consider this. Do my people truly follow me? That was the word that came out. Then it said this. So few are turned in their hearts towards me. They give me their backs and seek after sensual gratification. My people, those of you who fear me, let me ask you now. Are you willing for the cost to seek me with all your heart? 
and to prepare yourselves for when I release your churches for gathering together, together once again. If so, I will yet preserve a testimony in your land and even give increase and blessing, but only if you seek me. Seek my face with all your hearts and turn to me continually and worship me in my house according to the ways of my word and for my glory. See, I have given you time to catch up with me. Learn to hear my voice. I want to say that to all of you. Learn to hear the Lord's voice. Come, draw near, and I will show you the way of repentance and even give you a measure of restoration, not because you deserve it, but because, but for my name's sake and for my glory in your land. We need, dear friends, to allow God to give us eyes of tears again that weep over our condition. Concerning these verses, C.H. Spurgeon said this, Winners of souls are first weepers for souls. As there is no birth without travel, so there is no spiritual harvest without pain. The tillage. When our own hearts are broken with grief at man's transgression, we shall break other men's hearts. You will be a breaker of hearts if you've firstly been broken before God. I believe that's something of what this lockdown is for. To bring us to a stop, to a halt, and to get our eyes on God. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Nehemiah's name, going back to Nehemiah, do you know what his name means? Whom the Lord comforts. What did Jesus say? Blessed are those who weep, for they shall be comforted. He that goes forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. In other words, there's going to be a fruitfulness out of this. You think the enemy is just having a field day with you. Brother, sister, God is going to use even the enemy's taunts over your life to bring a greater glory to himself. Don't worry about what the enemy is doing. He can't destroy your work, can't destroy what God is doing in you. Because he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. And what is it that overcomes the world? Even our faith. God will help you. But I tell you what, he used this whole situation to shatter you. If it needs a shattering. Not because he hates you, but because he loves you. He's showing you peculiar attention as his child. Because he loves you. The enemy will twist what God is doing to say that God's against you. But don't listen to demonic commentaries. What God is doing in you is eternal. This lockdown's been for three months, but what God works in you through it will be for eternity. Consider the outcome. <laughs> Consider the, I don't want to say the deal, 
you understand what I'm saying. If you let God deal with you during this lockdown, what he works in you will be of eternal worth. May the Lord help us to sow with tears. Weep over your condition. Charles Simeon was one of the great evangelical leaders of the 1800s. 17-1800. He was friends with John Wesley, George Whitfield. He had incredible opposition in his life. For the first 12 years of his ministry, the people so hated him that they locked up the pews so that nobody could get in. And he preached to people who would come in, who would walk down the aisle. Now, you can't tell me that Satan's not in that. But Charles Simeon didn't seem to see things that way. That's why he's so much far on. (laughs) He kept ministering. Because it was of the Lord to minister. And he saw everything in the light of what the Lord was doing. Not simply what the devil was doing. He ministered to an almost empty congregation for 12 years. Nobody wanted to be with him. But he was sound on the word of God and he believed in God's purposes for Israel. He had a real zeal for evangelism to the Jewish people. Charles Simeon. And not many people liked him. But he wasn't bitter about it. The way he overcome things was to put himself on the floor and to look at his own bankruptcy and how wicked he really was and then look away at the perfections of Jesus Christ. If you do that, this lockdown will become a blessing to you. (sighs) Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, we've spent more time than I've realized. Lord, you know me. I do get taken with these things, but oh God, we ask you to write this word on our hearts. If there's been anything out from myself, Lord, Father, I pray that you cleanse me. Thank you for the patience of this congregation with me. I thank you, Lord, for their love and their walk with you. Lord, I pray, Lord, it's such a privilege to minister the word to these brothers and sisters. Lord, I do acknowledge before you I don't deserve the right to be able to do so. It's only by your grace. Lord, I pray that you give my brothers and sisters the humility to take from an imperfect vessel what you have been saying to them. And that you'd write your word on our hearts. We thank you that Lord, this wonderful phrase that we've read already, but God. Thank you, Lord, that concerning all our lives, it is but God. And we give you the praise and the glory. We ask you to keep us, Lord, and to lead us on with you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Friends, we're going to come towards the end of the service. Um, but before we do, I want